0: morning everyone this is kathy mason from mason works marketing here on conscious business zone with my new friend brad olson hi brad how you doing
1: hey kathy i'm doing great thanks for having me on the show
0: yeah yeah well i got to meet brad f- from omar fiazzi paw pa now <laughs> um from uh watcher's talk and uh i just love everything he's doing and i think all of you will really be fascinated when you start to learn the truth of our history and the truth of um, the potential for humanity, which is really exciting. Um, Brad is a captivating speaker and author of 10 books. It includes three in his esoteric series, which here is one of them, modern esoteric and future esoteric and beyond esoteric, which I've got beyond. So, um, and he's also a publisher and he's been, um, been on stages with some of the top, uh, UFO experts and exopolitic experts. So I'm really excited to learn from you today. I, I don't know what I'll learn. I'm sure a ton. Um, but Brad, how did you get involved in this? Because um you must have had a normal life at some point before. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, growing up in the Midwest, uh, suburbs of Chicago, and went to college downstate at Illinois State University. And then just just had a wanderlust to get out of the midwest and right after i graduated college i self-financed all my trips but this first one was three months backpacking around europe and got my toes wet and wanted more so then a couple years later i moved to japan where i was an english teacher for 14 months and then self-financed another trip around the world. I was out of the country for about three years. And I'll tell you, Kathy, that was probably the biggest learning experience of my life, much more so than my five years of college and having the opportunity to see what life was like on the other side and really truly understand values and, and what's important in life because when you see that that most people are just living hand to mouth on 50 cents a day and um even in the case of uh Calcutta India literally people dying and starving on the streets it really does change your perspective and and you do come into value what you have and what opportunities we're given just being born in in the USA so a yeah. lot of people i know who oh, oh who i <clears throat> are friends with but are having a hard time this and that it's just a perspective you have no idea how good you have it here yeah okay maybe money or relationships whatever you're struggling with but uh, we do have a a huge advantage just just getting our start here in america and being educated here so i just hope people uh can get out and travel All, all my books are very proactive i started as a travel writer and I always wanted people to go out and explore these places themselves and gain the kind of real life experiences that I gained that that are very valuable. And I still reflect on them and has really changed me as a person as a result.
0: Yeah. Uh, oh, I totally agree with that. I um I was lucky enough to live in Italy. Um, I went to school there five different times from 10th grade on. I'd go for summer and then I'd come back. And I got to live with a countess and her daughter in, um, in Florence, Italy, for a whole year. And I mean, the, the, your perspective of everything. I mean, even bathing. I was used to bathing every day. And all of a sudden, I had to petition to bathe twice a week. And, and people go, ooh, twice a week. It was like, hey, it was fine. <laughs> Once a week was rough. But I mean, when you when you look at um, how joyful people are with right. um, their other way of looking at life, and that their real realistic look at us as humans as animals, um, it's a different it's a different perspective than this sanitary thing we've got, right? <sighs>
1: night and day it's so different and that that's why it is such a great learning opportunity to just see how the other half lives I know we've heard that term so many times but until you get out there and actually see it and experience it then you'll really know what that means
0: well I've been saying because I got to study the renaissance in Italy I got to go to school there and study with the world most authority on the Renaissance. And then after class, wow. I could go and look at the art <laughs> instead of a slideshow. And um, back then, this was in the mid 70s. They were taping every every uh, lecture. And he wrote the book that we were using for college and everything. But, um, but the whole thing of living in, um, you almost go back in time to a simpler um, thought process where um, things are, because they're a little slower, they're more cherished. Do you find that too?
1: Oh, for sure. And the family becomes much more important. How many multi-generational households did I find where the grandparents live with the kids who have their children and they all live and work together? and. It's funny the the less people have when they're living on fifty cents a day, the more generous they are too, and they can't wait to invite you in and uh, have you for tea and and just practice their English or just just look at someone from the, this Western world that they they oftentimes get our television or music, and and that's how a lot of people around the world learn how to speak English, very right. uh, rudimentary English. But it's through our media you can't understand how pervasive western media is until you go to some of these little towns and places and and uh, people will have an understanding of our media and our background of course we know here in this country how much is is just entertainment and fluff and not really important but boy you go to these countries and they and they, they almost worship at the altar of Western media. They just think it's so important in their lives. And, um, I guess one of the things that I did is, is try to tell people now all Americans aren't uh gun toting warmongers. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard it said, because there is a bit of a, a negativity, connotation about being american because we have army bases and all over the world practically yeah uh, they do always say we don't like american politics and what you guys are doing in other countries but you as an american are fine we don't have a right. problem with you and right. that's kind of the way people are people are generally good around the world kathy i found that that people are are really loving and kind and generous you just got to go there and meet them, and and then you get that perspective yourself.
0: Right, right. I I love that idea that you were uh, uh, got the travel bug, the world traveler bug. But okay, so my next question is: so so we look at all these ancient cultures, and we look at these monolithic buildings, and not just the architecture, but just the design of everything and how how far that the culture is living from that high culture and that high mathematics and geometry uh, how do how do you explain that cuz that's where i started talking about the renaissance i feel like we've been in the dark ages and we're mm. going back to i'm hoping that yeah, well, I, it, there's too many things that don't make sense in the history that we learn that um, that that's what's so fabulous about these books is that not only are they full of information, each page goes whoa um, <laughs> in it but but like I'm a Stargate person. <laughs> so we'll talk about Stargate in a second, but can I can they see? That's a Stargate from eighteen hundreds. They found one. Anyway, okay. Oh, yeah. so, so, well, first, let's talk about the Renaissance. About us coming back to, yeah. <laughs> so, so, Brad, do you think we're coming back to the? Oh, we're gonna be at a high enough spiritual. Um, um, I, I understand if whoever's running this show took us out of all the technology so we wouldn't hurt each other and hurt others because the, our animal instinct is a little too strong and more than a little. I mm. mean, we aren't spiritual enough beings, but if we have this spiritual renaissance, which is what I, I'm, I'm working towards, and I think you're working towards, then all this technology could come back that could make us part of the the galactic
1: um alliance right right well let's just put it in perspective a little over a hundred years ago we were still a horse and buggy society that was how we'd been for hundreds of years before that Uh, it was only in this what was called the first industrial revolution that we started making these great advances in technology. And just for perspective, well, the Wright brothers flew the first airplane in the early 20th century. And by 1969, we're putting a man on the moon. And in uh, 60 some years, we went from the first airplane to space travelers. So this technology has advanced very rapidly on earth to the point where now we have weapons that could destroy the entire planet also within a a couple generations. So it's kind of like little children playing with a pack of matches in a very uh, dry forest that have the potential of burning down the the forest with these uh, new toys. So we're really going into a philosophical phase of the human race that we really have to look at ourselves and just say do we really need to fight wars anymore do we really need to kill each other are we really that different and my answer is no we're not and by traveling around the world you learn that that people are essentially good loving honest caring people right and they don't want to fight each other nor do i and i'm an american i never wanted to fight anyone and and that's why Traveling is such a uh, panacea for understanding how the life is like elsewhere, but more importantly, how we can all get along together and how we can end the struggles that the poor people have. I mean, one in four are going to go to sleep uh, starving tonight. There's no reason anybody should be left behind, really. It's only a matter of allocating resources, which uh, can be done quite easily. And there's no reason we need to be degrading the planet or building up more arms. So the human race has to go through a philosophical uh, soul searching, as it were, to really understand that there's no us and them. There's there's no difference between us. All humans bleed red blood. We're all one and the same. And until we start looking out for the lowest common denominator, it's kind of like the planet of the apes down here as far as the perspective <laughs> of, of other uh, advanced ET races. I mean, I, they must just be a gasp at what they're seeing us doing out here because we're just doing it to ourselves. And right. the longer this goes on, the more wars and strife and environmental degradation, the longer it's going to take before we can have that meaningful sitting down at the table uh, with these benevolent ETs. But they're here and they're watching, and this is the greatest show in the universe right now. Oh, because it, yeah, where's the they're, popcorn? They're, yeah,
0: <laughs> where's the popcorn? So, yeah. so, but, but I think they've been helping us as they see the beings that are already. I, I've been doing this work with conscious businesses and with um, spiritual teachers and healers and magic wielders i guess if you want to call them that um for 23 years and so i think that it, there's so many opportunities now um uh where people are open to the divine and open to act on they're courageously acting on the information they're getting and it isn't just et it's all it's it's a divine and um that's where i mean the, your book has so much of this in here, so so okay. So I don't want to talk too much. I want you to talk. Okay, so we had giants, we had giants, and we had. Um, and Michael Tellinger has has shown pictures of six foot tall footprints, um, mm-hmm. where he's where my friend Chris was standing by one. And it, it had been on the ground and the mud had pushed up and made a rock. And there's this, you know, big footprint that's six foot. I mean, he's six two and it was bigger than him. So, yeah, so, I knew it. so did they help build all of the Stonehenge and all of the monolithic? I mean, where, where does this all, how does it all weave Together because you've been all over the world and you've been to these esoteric sites, and I'm sure you're being guided. I'm I'm sure you are. So how how do you feel like it all works out? Like the history that that the the Vedas have in it? A lot of the ancient texts have this information in it, but we kind of rejected it.
1: Yeah. Well, that's the big question, Kathy, is who were the uh, progenitors of the human race? And and we've heard about them in the Bible and many other ancient texts that there were giants here on earth a long time ago, and they were very advanced. And some of these ancient texts would even say that they helped uh, create the human race, such as uh, Zachariah Sitchin in, in the, uh, interpreting the Sumerian cuneiform text saying that that this Anunnaki, these giants who were human-like, but not quite human, uh, but they had a little uh, penchant for us earth, er, earth women. And uh, there, was a, there was a bit of a breeding program going on there. They couldn't help themselves. You know, they're from a faraway planet X and uh, they see the earth women and they're fair and and the offspring were the Nephilim. And they were pretty much uh, hybrids. So, so similar to the way that a donkey and a horse can mate, even though they're two different species, the offspring is a mule, which are sterile. They cannot reproduce, but they're going to live. That's why it's so interesting when they find all of these elongated skulls, I- even here in North America. But they're Routinely suppressed, and in this country we call it Smithsonian Gate, because <laughs> the Smithsonian institutional come into a dig site and they'll be Johnny on the spot, uh, show their badge and say, "All right, we're taking over this dig here." And I outline it in Beyond Esoteric with this dig of giants in Lake Delavan, up uh, near where I grew up in in southern Wisconsin. Very well documented archaeological dig by the professors at the uh, College of Beloit in southern Wisconsin. They were doing everything by the book, and then the news media, first it started out with the local paper, and then other newspapers came up to report on it. Finally, it became a national story, and then the Smithsonian descended on it, and they basically said, we're taking over here, and the archaeologist said, well, we're very interested in learning more about the findings, and what you come up with. Oh yeah, sure, we'll tell you everything. They took everything away, never to be seen from again. The archeologist followed up and said, well, we'd like to hear the results. They said, we don't know what you're talking about. Wow. <laughs> They're no giants. So it's been like that many, many times. There's a a suppression of the evidence to basically change the rewriting of history. So it, it's a great crime against humanity really to, hold our human origins and suppress this information from the people. But these elongated giants, they've been discovered around the world. When I was down in South America five years ago, some of the museums just display them. You can go in and see what I think are Anunnaki or Nephilim. There's a museum in Paracas, Peru, They're just a dozen or more on display. And and when you see them, you can tell, obviously, this is no human. For one, they have this big bulbous back of their head, which is 30% larger cranial capacity. So 30% larger brain than an average human. So with a bigger head, you get a bigger body. These are the giants. They're on display. There are skeletons that can be discover but we never learned about that when we when we went to history school we were only told oh the the very first civilizations was sumeria mesopotamia where present day iraq is or egypt they, these are the first high cultures uh no they're not you already <laughs> have you already have places like gobekli tepe in turkey that already Prove that there were high civilizations that go way back to the Ice Age. Not only that, you have underwater archaeology. And I'm working on a, a conference presentation right now called Underwater Archaeology, where you have megalithic buildings and, and structures underwater that could only have been built during the last Ice Age when the sea levels were much lower because there was so much freshwater ice trapped on the continent it lowered the sea level by about 200 feet. So you have places like Yonaguni, uh, south of Japan in the Okinawa Island chain, that is this giant megalithic rock carved uh, quite expertly right out of the living rock that only just recently National Geographic had to admit was fashioned by uh, a higher intelligence, that they uh-huh. just can't ignore it after a while. So. Everything keeps getting dated older and older and older, Kathy, like uh, Graham Hancock says. And then you throw in these giants and it's a total game changer that there were high civilizations on this planet, that there were higher intelligences before humans arose. And we probably got a lot of help from them, too.
0: Oh yeah. Well, I, I'm I'm so fascinated because I'm I want to be optimistic about all the changes we're going through because I really just as you said, no one really needs. If we have replicators, we have med beds, we have all this technology that has been um, hidden that's being used maybe by the military. Um, if all of that's available, no one has to starve. No one has to um, have problems with clothing and we can clean the oceans there's there's all these positive things that can come out by this knowledge but but do you feel that so this is my question again about spiritual the spiritual aspect of humanity do you feel that it was because the ets have been helping us i mean anyone that's into et stuff knows for for um, Well, they've been feeding us little by little E.T. For, uh, Steven Spielberg movies. They, they've been feeding it into our global consciousness yeah. for a long time. They've known it for a long time. And oh, yeah. uh, so how do you feel about the idea that we're just waiting for this spiritual maturity for us to have the tools back? What do you think about that?
1: Well, again, that's in the context of humans only coming into this high technology in the last century. And many of those tools, yeah, are being suppressed, whether it's uh, strictly earth motives, such as getting a hold of backward engineered technology and uh, top secret military applications, but other things that could definitely benefit the human race, such as we've heard the advent of these med beds that could keep humans alive for centuries uh, or zero point energy, uh, which, which gets into free energy that, that if it were released and used widely among the people of the world, we could have desalinization plants. There's plenty of water on this planet. Most of it is salt water, though. If we just had a way to convert it to fresh water, we could turn the deserts into gardens. We could send out ocean bots to clean up all the the trash and the gyres and we could do so many things but it's not happening and and that's been my eternal question why what is holding us back because humans are obviously very clever we know how to figure out things and build things but there there's there's a certain kind of suppression that doesn't want the human race to advance and whatever you wanna call them, the, the ruling elite, the cabal, maybe even working with some of these malevolent ETs to keep us in this box, to keep us from the great leap forward, the, the great awakening. But it's happening anyways, and it right. will happen. And it's our destiny to see it, make it happen. And that's why it's a great time to be alive because this yeah. is really the most pivotal moment in the history of, of humanity because we're coming into this high technology, but we're also maturing. We're, we're still like little kids with the matchbook and we don't know how to handle it yet. So to answer your question, I think there's a, a pause or a tentativeness on the part of the benevolent ETs. And let, let's always keep in mind, That There's there's two agendas at hand, and and there's really two kinds of ETs, and I'm not talking about how they look or if they have a slit in their eye or if they have scaly skin or if they're bipedal or not. The only thing that's important to understand as it relates to Earth, and that's called exopolitics, is are they in service to self? And if they are, then they're the ones doing the abductions and the cattle mutilations and and all this stuff that we hear about for their own benefit, for their own service to self. The ones who are also here watching us but are not getting directly involved, they're the service to others. They're the ones we do want to align with and the ones who would help us clean up this planet, release good technology, make sure it's done in a responsible way. And then that way, we can finally come to the table, this this galactic federation, and Earth could join. But it's really up to us. They don't want to be our babysitters. They're not going to land on the White House lawn and say, take me to your leader. It's not going to go down that way. Disclosure happens at the grassroots level. It happens from interviews like this, Kathy, of us just talking about it and and your listeners coming into a greater understanding that it's really our responsibility to do this. And you don't have to be a book author or have a podcast. The only skin in the game you need is your consciousness, is just thinking about these things and understanding it at an intuitive level. Once you do that, you're part of it. You're part of the solution, not part of the problem anymore and right. that's what we need is people just to wake up and understand this
0: it's it's like eyes wide open when you see a bigger picture and a bigger game being played where you can have um bec- once you know more information you can make better decisions that's that's a lot of it is we've been kind of stuck um we are on our phones <laughs> Um, before the the lockdown, and it it seemed like, I mean, even in Japan, they were having trouble with people getting run over, walking the crosswalk while they were on their phones. We were so regulated by the external. So, Just keep
1: going. I have to plug in my iPhone to keep uh, connected. But okay. Okie Okay. Right me.
0: Okay. Ahead. So I'm going to take you off for a second. Okay, so basically, you guys, if you get a chance to get this book, um, this is one of the ones that he's got. This is the third one in the series. So on the back of it, it says all that is hidden will be revealed. Nothing in this world operates the way you think it does. There is always more to the story. Be aware that there is a war being waged for your mind, body and soul. Corporate leaders have taken over governments in a new form of fascism that now incorporates high technology and artificial intelligence. The survival of the human race may depend on breaking the truth embargo and collectively developing... uh, There we go. (laughs) I'm I'm reading the back of your book. An open mind, but truth always resonates beyond esoteric takes off the kid gloves and exposes the control grid extending its te- and tentacles across the planet. okay so let's let's talk a little bit if you wouldn't mind about um, high tech that's what I was starting to talk about. I think that the pause that um, that came by us being um, locked down for two years, And all of the um, fear-mongering that came with all of that, all of a sudden people thought they were going to die from an invisible enemy and that they had no um, contact with with the outside world for a while. Um, That forced us to go inside, which actually has helped speed up our evolution. Do you agree?
1: Oh, we have sped up to a degree that... Even in our lifetimes, Kathy, we have just made leaps and bounds that our grandparents or even parents would have a hard time uh, grappling with the speed of advancements. Look, we no one had a smartphone two decades yeah. ago. Look at yeah. the advancements that are made with that and how everybody is just hooked on them all the time. <laughs> you yeah. got to be, be very mindful of your screen time because... In a way, you lose part of your humanity if you're just attached to your phone all the time. It, I remember reading the book called Megatrends that came out in the okay. 1980s by John Naismith. Great book, it's it's still so chock full of information. But one of the chapters was called High Tech, High Touch, and he nailed it in the 80s with just the very advent of personal computing, but saying that in the future, this megatrend would be that the more we become tethered to our technology and our devices and our screen time, the more we're gonna have a desire to have that high touch, the the companionship, the connection with other people, the the connection with nature. Uh, Don't ever forget, we're still organic creatures of planet earth. We're still as an animal uh, needing the resources of this planet, the air to breathe, the food that's produced from the earth to be alive. And the more we become high tech, the more we have the tendency to lose touch with, with that uh, connection with the earth and others, right? So look at how many people, especially kids, they say in, in uh, Asia or it's happening everywhere, but Korea and Japan they're actually negative population growth because so many young men are just addicted to their screen time and pornography. They're just not interested in women. (laughs) And I've heard from from Korean, Japanese women, they're like, there's no one who will even ask us out on a date. They're just not interested. And that's part of the problem is the screen time is really just changing who we are. So we just have to be very mindful of that and really just try to get out in nature every single day, go for a walk or a bike ride, or um, just sit outside and watch the sunset. It's actually very good for you. Or walk around in your bare feet, it's called earthing. And it really does help grounding and and keep you more in your human body. I think that's an important message to give.
0: Yeah, well, you you and I both live in beautiful areas where we can get out all year round, and the sun is out almost every day. So that that's really that's really wonderful. Okay, so I um I am somewhat of a free a fan of AI of uh, using ChatGPT and some of the tools that have come up because of um, the the um, ease of use, but I don't know about that. Um, what do what do they call the the um, what? I'm sorry, I can't think of the word for the the when when uh, the AI smarter than humans. What do they call that? The,
1: singularity.
0: Yeah, singularity. The singularity. I mean, it, it, is that just we've been watching too much um, Battlestar Galactica and? Um, <laughs> and um and and that that's been planted in our minds because these are tools it's like saying i'm afraid of windows or of um uh of encoding that i've done coding my whole life i mean what what are we afraid of it's just a a program
1: right right well exactly and I'm glad you mentioned chat GPS because people are finally able to play around with AI and see what it can do. For example, just type in your name and the word bio. So Brad Olson bio, it knew more about me than I'm actually comfortable (laughs) with anyone knowing, but... So it it can just scour the internet and just find things. It knew I went to Antarctica five years ago. It knows that I speak at conferences and write books and stuff. And and it has the ability to really start to uh, take over many of the media positions, uh, including writing books. But, and this is a big but, it never has the human touch. And that's where... In this context, AI will never take over right. a really good writer because right. you do need, yeah, the the human experience to inject into it. All it can do is is just scour the internet and get all the information on a certain subject and condense it and write a beautiful passage. I'm right. not knocking it, but I'm just saying it it, it will never have what we have. And and that's an important part of this. We're carbon, it's silicon, and and we're different (laughs) in that way.
0: Well, I I think what's um, missing with all the conversation is, again, the tool part of it. Because um, the the idea is for us to be able to meditate every day and to still take care of our 3D life or hopefully go to 5D life. the acceleration of information and the access of data um, is going to help us in lots of ways. So it isn't all negative. Um, and and um, you, as as you said, I never use something straight out of it. You can't. If you even if you expected it to be expert, it can't. It can't do what we can do. It can give you a good outline to to stimulate your ideas of it but people like when i just published a book on amazon for one of my clients and it had as a thing as a form to fill out when you publish a book um is is this written by ai so they're even
1: <laughs> wow
0: when you, That's when first i heard you, of
1: it but i don't doubt when, it when yeah, do you put your next
0: book up Wait till right, you put right. next up, you'll go like, wow, they're really, so they're very aware that, hey, people aren't going to necessarily, uh, this is not a pen name, this is not um, public domain content, this is actually somebody um, regurgitating something out of a database, a giant right. database, so, but, but um, I mean, I think all these tools, that's why I kept asking about the consciousness. I think all of these tools can be used for good or bad. And it's more about us as humans, getting back to the love and, and making the decisions from here rather than here. And from a, not from fear, but from love. Right.
1: Right. Right. And that's what it's all about. And that's your humanness. And that's why high tech, high touch is so important. We can never forget our humanness. We can never forget that we're loving, feeling, caring beings, which AI can never be. Just like it, it's it's glamorized in all the movies, uh, Steven Spielberg's AI from a decade ago. The one thing it knew it never had was our humanness.
0: Right, the one right. thing
1: it knew it could never do was really truly love something. You could say you love it. But can you really love something unless you're a carbon-based species? Animals can love their offspring, and they definitely do. But I don't think AI has that capacity, nor will it ever. So that's a very important distinction, Kathy. I'm glad you brought that up.
0: yeah, Yeah, I think it's tools. That's what, I mean, even when we're looking at the tools, these monolithic um, uh, structures that are all over the world, and yep. I mean, I think you met Evan and Stephen Strong that are in Australia or in New Zealand. They they have um, these stones that the Mari had that have laser cuts on them, and they're actual have power to them. And we don't have that technology. We don't we don't know what even what they are, and um, so so. And it's be dangerous to give it to us. <laughs> what what do, what do you think about the mystery schools? About um, the because you're you're when you're going to all these places, a lot of these secrets that were hidden from us um, as a humanity have been preserved from in mystery schools, or have been preserved in certain esoteric read, writings or processes, what do you think about that as far as that filtering into now?
1: Well, it's very important to understand that earthlings, humans here on earth, we've had a long history of trying to understand what it's all about, right? That's the eternal question. Who are we on this planet? Why are we here? What's our purpose? And the mystery schools of old endeavored to learn that, but they they did it in such a way that it was very occultic. And really the word occult just means hidden, hidden from purview. And esoteric means knowledge that's really possessed by a select few. Right. Because when everybody starts to learn about these mysteries from the mystery schools, the word changes to exoteric. Then everybody knows it. And it's not so much of a privilege to be in some of these uh, secret societies. That's kind of the more modern emanation of esotericism is that it is now uh, put in the Freemasonry and and you learn more as you move up the levels. Um, One of my books, Modern Esoteric, which I uh, describe all of the mystery schools and secret societies just got translated into Bulgarian. It's, it's quite uh, cool to see. They made it uh, a Wikipedia-style book, but they were very true to the design and kept all the images and quotes and stuff. So it's it's very much uh, the exact same book, but uh, in esoteric, and a friend of mine who grew up uh, in a Ukrainian household, she's able to read it. So people that come from uh, uh, different uh, Eastern uh, Skrillic alphabet cultures um, can read it, but it's specifically in Bulgarian. So that's kind of cool To that, that people in other places are reading this book, uh, Modern Esoteric, and they're working on future esoteric, and then someday we'll uh, get around to beyond esoteric. But they're like me. They take uh, a year or two to come out with a translation. It takes me three years to come out with a new book. And I'm working on my 11th book right now and it's in the series. It's called Esoteric Antarctica and it won't be at GPS. It'll, my experiences and my findings, my research of all the weird stuff that's going on down there. So that, that'll probably be a 2025 release.
0: Oh, cool. So do you want to give us a, a few things from from that knowledge? Because, okay, so we, we're we being told climate change is um, going to, Affect the coastlines of all of the world, and um, because the ice ice um, masses in the North Pole and South Pole are melting, and then you went to. I mean, first of all, that that was crazy cool that you did that. <laughs> um, that you went to Antarctica. Yeah, wow.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah wow. Uh, uh- Right. And very, very, very few people ever will go to Antarctica. We read the statistic in the Lonely Planet book. There's a whole travel guide, 250 pages, Uh guide to Antarctica. It's kind of amazing. And I was referencing it the whole trip. Um, But the amount of people that will ever go to Antarctica, if you look at the 8 billion humans that are alive today, it's something like 0.0001% of all human lives. Because only about 350,000 make it down there a year. And that's the scientists and the tourists combined. Um, and then some of those scientists come back year after year or stay on the base year round. But only about a 1,000 people are there during the Antarctic winter, which, of course, is our summer. And then uh, the tourist season starts right about now and then only goes to early March, it starts getting cold again. And then, uh, of course during their winter if you're down at south pole it would be 4 months of total darkness. So uh it, it is certainly a land of mystery. It's it's uh, a frozen continent, it's over 99% covered in snow and ice and it's it's totally different than any place you will ever visit here on earth. In fact, it it's so different it feels like you're on a a different planet because there's no trees, there's no bushes, there's nothing green there um there's no land animals at all the biggest animal that can survive on land is a tiny little insect Uh, most of the life is underwater and that's where the penguins and the seals although they're mammals and the whales um they feed there it's a very rich environment there they have these uh ice fish that can live in sub-freezing temperatures year-round and they're the the keystone species, the food source for the penguin seals, and then a lot of krill and other uh, small uh, creatures that uh, the whales can feed on. So it's a very vibrant um, ecosystem, and that's why it's been protected under the Antarctica Treaty and one of the best treaties that was ever conceived by humanity and still in effect to this day which preserves the entire continent as a biosphere reserve wow. sort of in the same way that we have national parks here. This is a world reserve. And some of the tenants of Antarctica is that it would be preserved for science or tourism, but no military activity. And that's a really good thing. Uh, it's also been preserved from exploiting its resources, from mining, from fishing from hunting the whales and the seals, which both n- several species nearly went extinct uh, wow. in the late yeah in the late 1800s they just hunted them so much that they were actually considered commercially extinct wow. that there was just nothing really to go down there for because they were just all gone. Had it not been for a couple errant pods of blue whales and right whales, they'd have been gone and extinction is forever. So, once wow. you kill the last breeding colonies, then they're gone. And we've seen extinction happen time and time again uh, in this modern age and it's still continuing. So, this is what humans have to correct. And Antarctica is a great barometer for uh, the health of the planet, not just those species, but also you mentioned climate change. I give a presentation at, at conferences. In fact, I'm going to give it at the MUFON Symposium in Irvine, Texas, in middle July. They want me to give my "Hidden Anomalies of Antarctica" talk. I'm happy to do it. And one of the first slides I show when I was poring over maps, getting ready for my trip down there uh, five years ago, was a recently released map from NASA that shows the areas in Antarctica that are heating up, indicated in red, but also areas that are cooling down in Antarctica and actually accumulating more snow. So well, there, there's, there's climatic change, yes, but I don't think it's going to result in catastrophic sea rises because if it were, it would have already happened. And look, I just moved from coastal Santa Cruz where they have the 120 year old beach boardwalk and it's still there. Miami beach is still there. I was just there this summer. so mother nature in her infinite wisdom with a change in one direction, such as heating and along the Palmer peninsula where I traveled to definitely evident that things are changing as well as species migrating. So the warm weather penguins are moving in on the feeding grounds of the cold weather penguins, which are now decreasing in numbers. Those are the Adelie penguins, whereas the, the Chinstrap and gentoo penguins are now breeding out of control and in areas they normally wouldn't be in. So there are changes that are happening for sure, but it's just not this uh, catastrophe that we all need to go under lockdown and, and have carbon credits and uh, oh, oh, we all need to have social credit scores as a result of climate change, that yeah. seems like an agenda that is more uh, concerned with controlling humans than anything to do with the environment.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. Um, I want to share, um, this was from a little while ago, Police, uh, who I get to see on Sunday. Um, she wanted to say when we were talking about cleaning the oceans. And then mm-hmm. Auntie, my friend Auntie LaRue said, during your talk, Screen Time is the Opiate of the Masses. So I didn't get those out early enough. Um, Okay, so who is your go-to person when you're trying to figure all this out? I mean, here you're traveling and you're getting your own, you know, boots boots on the ground, impressions and collecting data and actually seeing with your own eyes and feeling the energy. You must be highly sensitive to energies, right?
1: Of course, sure. Of course. And, yeah. We all are, really. We yeah, all are. Not
0: it's everybody's people, aware
1: of it. Yeah. yeah, that's all. You just have to be aware of it. You have to be mindful that, look, humans are incredibly powerful. We have been dumbed down through our educational system, through the mass media, through what the government tells us or doesn't tell us about who we are on this planet. We are incredibly powerful and as soon as humans realize that and regain and just say, "Oh, I'm taking that back. It belongs to me. It always has." Uh it's game over for this this dark cabal, this controlling group that would I call them the powers that were cuz they don't <laughs> belong here. They don't they don't have the right to control us in the way they're trying to do it. And we're seeing it happening. They're they're going full court press right now trying to lock us down again and pandemic 2.0 is certainly coming down the pike, that these people have to go. And I can't even tell you quite truthfully or knowledgeably that they're it, they're entirely human. I can't say that because we know that there are hybrids now. Look, the technology of cloning is very well advanced. We were just told that Dolly the sheep was cloned uh, in the 1980s. You don't think they're doing that with humans? Come on, it's very well advanced. And not only cloning, but also the hybrids. We talked earlier about uh, the Nephilim being the offspring of humans in the Anunnaki. Supposedly, there's still colonies of giants in certain locations in the world. And I could even name a few that are the best uh, candidates in my book future esoteric i have a chapter called suppressed human uh, origins and i outline the story of the kandahar giant that was killed in afghanistan about 15 years ago and uh, my friend michael jaco i'm also publishing his books uh, as a publisher i do other authors and i asked michael jaco about the uh, kandahar giant and he was stationed in afghanistan around that time he said oh yeah absolutely it was true the buzz through special forces which he was a part of uh spoke of how our guys went up there they were given a tip that there was this cave and there are giants that lived in there and the giants would come out and eat their their livestock so the special forces guys went up there and um the point guy went into the cave and out comes this huge giant with a lance speared the guy through his torso, that guy was lost. But then the special forces guys just uh, oh, yeah, shot yeah. these high heavy ordinances into the eyes and finally killed the giant. And it was quite an ordeal to remove the giant. And they had to bring in a, a big net and they wrapped it up and brought it out in uh, the double prop helicopters to the Kandahar base where other soldiers saw about it and knew that this was real. And then eventually they took it off to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. And why (laughs) is that significant? Because that's where all the alien bodies go to be dissected in an underground base there and anything weird and abnormal, if they ever catch a Bigfoot or a body of one, they'll scoop it up and and get it out of there. Because there is a concerted effort to keep us from knowing all of this weirdness. And that, and that's why I endeavor to chronicle it all in my esoteric series of books, because I feel like people have a right to know this stuff. Right. And look, right. I'm just a messenger. I'm just someone who collects and condenses information because I'm just so into this stuff. And I just put it out there and I, I want people to do their own research, just use my books and this information I'm giving you as a, a signpost on the road. Just as an indication, here's some more things that you can look into, and I encourage you to do your own homework and follow up on this stuff. And if you find something, even a mistake I've made, please let me know because I'm always updating my information and I want to get this right because that's who we are in this human race when so much has been withheld from us that that we have to just be truth seekers in all this and and endeavor to get it right each time.
0: Perfect. And, and uh, I want you to know Omar saying hi. And he sure. said that you're a, um, an F, you know what, legend. And I don't want to put that up there. Um,
1: <laughs> well, he's and, an um, F legend too. <laughs>
0: and he says, great books. I got all three. I only have one. I'll have to get them the rest of them. But anyway, and then um, uh, Joanne Palladino said great spirit and info love the powers that were. Yes. So, so, but um, do you have, so my first question of that part was, do you have go-tos? Because I know you just were speaking with Michael Sala and Elaine Denon and, and Denny Henderson. And um, do you, because I follow Michael Sala's stuff a lot, um, trying to figure out what's happening. And I definitely no, I'm connected to hybrids or, or something. I mean, I definitely have a, a expanded awareness of of ETs and fairies and angels and all sorts of stuff. So so do you is is there anybody that you actually follow that I mean, there's the Cliff Highs, there's the scientists, there's Nassim Harriman doing the um the um the expanded view of um, physics, quantum physics. I mean, is there somebody that you follow or is this all just downloads that you're getting?
1: Not so much downloads that I'm getting. Although when you're intuitively aware of yourself and, and you become more consciously uh, mindful of your ability to be intuitive, a lot comes to you, right? And and but that's that's sort of more on a a personal journey type of thing. As far as uh, what's going on in the world and the universe, that's when it's great to have connections like, as you mentioned, Michael Sala, Elaine Denon, uh, Danny Henderson at the Galactic and Spiritual Informers Conference last month in wow. Orlando, which I had the great honor of being asked to be a speaker. It's these personal connections and and being able to uh, draw from their information, too. So, for example, right before I was going to Antarctica about five years ago, I've known Michael Sala for many years now, and he's done a lot of Antarctica research, too. And I said, hey, Michael, I'm going down to uh, on the Palmer Peninsula area of Antarctica. What can you tell me? What What's there to see? And, and he was a wealth of information and told me a bunch of things to look out for and um, we still exchange information. And just recently, he sent me some GPS coordinates of this area in the new Schwabenland in the German claim to Antarctica of uh, an area in Antarctica with that was free of ice. But you can see uh, very clearly square and symmetrical building foundations. It's still kind of blurry, but it's coming out and and this is interesting because google earth is finally starting to do reveals wow. not really the big stuff you still can't see the big hole in the ice near the south pole but you can see other places in south america uh, in, in antarctica that are very revealing that look like a pyramid structure that look like uh ancient cities and look mother nature does not create perfect symmetry not in the form of Uh, perfect rectangular uh, structures. And sometimes in this case with a pyramid with steps going up the side and step levels, mother nature doesn't do that, but a higher intelligence does that. And and that's what I find so fascinating. And that's a little preview of my book, Esoteric Antarctica, which I'm working on right now. Um, Omar's suggestion, what do you think of Eric Hecker's claim of Antarctica? Well, Eric and I are colleagues met him at a conference. And, uh, I like the guy. Um, he sometimes will slag on me for talking about the hole in the ice because he was, uh, he was stationed there for a year and a day at, at the Almondson Scott South pole station. And he has great information and I, uh, respect him for bringing that out, but he'll, he'll say, Brad makes these claims. that there's a hole under the ice. Look, I'm a researcher. I collect information. I call them data points. I put them together and I try to fashion the best response and information that I can put out to you guys. And just because he was stationed at South Pole doesn't mean he was privy to the information of the hole under the ice. Look, if there was a, a harp station 20 miles from here and nobody ever told me about it, I wouldn't know, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Right. So that, that's where we differ in our, on our opinion. While I'm trying to find these hidden anomalies of Antarctica, he's just saying flat out, no, they don't exist because I didn't hear about them. <laughs> well, I don't think that's that's doing uh, uh, enough homework there, and I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But I'd say Eric's a great guy, and and he's doing some great, in, great uh, public service by telling us about what is going on at south base south pole station with this um he claims they have earthquake weapon he saw a beam of laser going straight up into the sky which right then and there is a big tell it's a communication yeah. Yeah, and wh- why are you pointing a laser straight up from the South Pole? Who, who are you communicating with there? Right. <laughs> where, who, where's it?
0: Where's it going? Okay, so so I've more
1: hoodly. Where where's the energy source? Right. So they're obviously oh yeah. Working. And in fact, that would Ooh, defy cool. the Antarctica treaty if they're using some kind of free oh, energy wow. device down there to power up these machines. Yeah. So that's good information that Eric's uh, coming out with.
0: Okay, I have one more quick question for you. And then then we got to wrap up. But my question is, do you get dreams before? Like, like you obviously are on assignment. That's the way I look at what you're doing. Because (laughs) I mean, seriously, the stuff you're bringing out is so fantastic. And it's so important for our evolution of our species. Do you like get a dream that Oh, I'm in Egypt, and then you get reality sort of comes in after you wake up and go, oh, I got the memo. I'm going to Egypt. Do you get that? Or how how are you being guided? Because you are being guided. How are you being guided to do this work?
1: Well, I was told that uh, Metatron is one of my spiritual guides. And apparently he's a big shot up there in the (laughs) multiverse so hey metatron good to have you with thanks for (laughs) the guidance keep me out of trouble uh yeah for sure we're all guided it's really just a question do we listen to that guidance and i do and through dreams yeah that's that's a way we can process this information maybe even tell us what not to do uh don't go into those situations or put yourself at a in a risky situation. And uh, well, going down to Antarctica was probably the hardest trip I've ever made. Um, really yeah. kicked my ass on the the trip down there. Uh, it was well worth it to experience that. And would I do it again? Probably, but with a film crew and and not on my dime. It's quite expensive to go there. And of course I paid for that trip and my companion, Emily Infinity, who uh, were still very good friends. and. Um, she did author royalties for me for uh, five years to, to repay the trip. So she's she's a great girl. And we just saw each other at the stairway to the uh, STARS conference in Las Vegas last weekend. But I know you did want to bring up the uh, Stargates too. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, please. And there's
1: a picture of it. So this one is an actual photo of... Uh, a stargate in Egypt. This photo was taken in 1898, and I'll just read my caption here. The old high technology civilizations used these huge magnetic solid rods as they shot this into the ring, therefore establishing functioning subspace fields with the other parallel worlds. So this is really mind mind bending technology that the ancients would have this ability because when you activate these stargates um they could produce vibrations of up to 3.6 on the richter scale it's almost like a small earthquake when they're functional and they could And this can be registered worldwide when they're active so anytime a stargate is active or when it's known uh yeah, the, the, these these groups know about it. So here's another Michael Jake Hotel. He told me that when they were going into uh, Baghdad for the second Iraq war, remember how the first thing that the U.S. troops did was take over the museum in Baghdad? You think, why the museum? Why not go for a military base or even the radio stations? Because below the museum was an ancient Stargate. That's what the Iraq war was all about. Couldn't let Saddam Hussein have a Stargate. And it wasn't in the basement per se. It was in a cave below where they built the museum. They built the museum on top of the cave to protect it, but also to um, give it shelter. And that's the first thing we did. So just to, finish up this to give people an idea of what a Stargate was in ancient times, it would trigger a 3.6 on the Richter scale, so anytime it fired up, they were thinking that Saddam was using this thing, therefore he had to be taken out and we had to capture this. These fields, when activated, could actually cause cracks in the tectonic crust. Yet at the moment of activation, the whole device does enter into another function as the effect takes place and so on. Stargates can also produce artificial reality at the other targeted locations, such as distant galaxies, which seem to semi exist between dream and reality. There you go with dream again. And such alien devices work much better in a non-unifying galaxy as ours is in present time what would the potential be of a modern stargate if these devices were backward engineered and i write in uh, a future context but i'd say really in present tense they already have been backward engineered. we have that technology and we're already using it so this is why it's it's quite a dangerous time with humans to have this kind of technology but were basically made unaware of its existence. So therefore, that's why the Great Awakening is so important. That's why people just having consciousness and awareness that this is going on is all you need to do because we have the numbers in this. And once the human race awakens to this false matrix that's been portrayed to all of us as our reality, uh, the whole thing Breaks down. It's just a house of cards. It's going to come tumbling down. It cannot support the truth.
0: Right. Oh, thank you so much. We're going to have to do this again. I hope you'll let me um, um, ask you weird questions again um, because I, there's so much to learn. And again, I need to get the other books. So that I have, I can really have the ammo to ask you full questions. But you guys, I definitely want to make sure that you know how to get a hold of Brad. I've been putting his information up and in the chat. But um, Brad, could you make sure that everybody knows how to get a hold of you and how they can get your books?
1: Sure, sure. Well, for the books, uh, mine, Michael Jacobs. Other authors I'm publishing, including Laura Eisenhower, is going to be our new author this spring. Go to cccpublishing.com. We don't have Laura's book up yet because it's not released, but it will be soon. But Michael Jaco's two books, Leo Lyon Zagami's five books, uh, Lon Milo dequette all really excellent authors on esoteric subjects. And, of course, my three books and all my travel guides are there, too. Any of my books, if you order them over cccpublishing.com i can send you out a signed copy okay. uh if you want to know more about me and and uh, the conferences that i'm speaking at you can go to bradolson.com just see see it spelled there olsen.com and uh you can send me an email through that although i i'm swamped with emails just this morning finding the link for this show. I had to go back a few hundred emails just to to find the link from a couple days ago. So please forgive me if I can't answer everybody's questions. I just get so many uh, replies and, and I'm, I'm grateful. I really am. It's just a time I don't have every day. And remember, I'm trying to reduce my screen time too and (laughs) spend more time out in nature. So hope you understand
0: yes well thank you so much and i'm very grateful that you would spend the time with us today um um, omar i have signed copies yes he
1: does
0: (laughs) yeah so that's what we'll have to do everybody this is what you can give for christmas and then you'll have lots of things to talk about at the the dinner table or no thanksgiving so that you have something you'll blow people's circuits if they're totally unaware
1: Makes a great stocking stuffer.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Brad. I hope we get to talk again soon. Thank you so much. Sure thing, Kathy. Thank you. Oh, thanks for
1: having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye, everybody. Please share this. Please.